Hello, everyone. Welcome to Queerly Recommended, the podcast where we recommend queer films, books, TV shows, and more. I'm Tara Scott, and I review queer women's fiction at the Lesbian Review and Smart Bitches Trashy Books. I'm usually joined by Chris Bryant, incredible lesbic author, but this week, neither of us is actually recommending anything because we have something special for you. A few months ago, I had the pleasure and privilege of interviewing Jonathan Van Ness, one of the stars of Queer Eye in the web series Gay of Thrones, for a live event. And thanks to a moment of vulnerability on my part, which you're actually going to hear in this episode, he gave me permission to post the conversation on the podcast. And so I am just thrilled to be able to share this with all of you. I still kind of can't believe that it happened. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. One last thing before we move on to the conversation, though. This week, if you enjoy the episode, please don't send any money to us through coffee. Instead, Chris and I would like you to make a donation to the Transgender Education Network of Texas, and there's a link in the show notes to their site so you can learn more about them and donate. JVN mentions them during the conversation, and it's just an incredible organization doing crucial work for trans people in the state of Texas. Now, on to my conversation with Jonathan Van Ness. I am so excited to be hosting this chat with Jonathan today. And what a happy coincidence that we're having at the beginning of Pride Month. Woo! Right? Yes. Go, my fellow queerdos. So whether you're joining us in person or online, please feel free to send your questions in, either through the platform or the conference app, and we will get to as many as we can. Jonathan Van Ness is a New York Times bestselling author podcaster, comedian, hairstylist to the stars, has a clean and sustainable hairline called JVN, and is probably, let's be honest, best known as one of the stars of the Queer Eye reboot on Netflix. His Netflix series and popular podcast, both called Getting Curious, are an absolute must if you're a curious person who loves to learn about diverse topics. And in April of this year, Jonathan's second book was released called Love That Story, Observations from a Gorgeously Queer Life. I've already listened to it and get in an audio. That's just my own personal recommendation. Uh, welcome, Jonathan. I don't know if they can see it. Show them your shoes. Oh, How beautiful. The shoe. Right? Um, not to be like that person, but they are, it's an Aliyah. It is. <laughs> the shoe is. Okay. Like from Clueless, remember? Oh my. Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. I feel like I could talk about your look all day because you're so beautiful. Uh. But I don't think that's what any of these people showed up here for. Are you sure? <laughs> I don't um, So actually, Jonathan, so you started your, you started your career as a hairstylist, of course. And then you became internet famous with a fabulous web series, Game of Thrones. So fun. Yes. And then you became Netflix famous when you joined the Fab Five on Queer Eye. So you've really gone on this huge journey of becoming a public figure. So how have you found ways to stay true to yourself? Well, you know, it's, uh, sometimes I'm, it's a really good question. I feel like I don't really have a choice. Like, I have always been this way, so I don't really know how to not be super true to myself. Right. Um, I do think that it's been interesting because... You know, after Gay of Thrones for the longest time, I was like, I want to keep doing this. I want to be in front of the camera. I want to, like, I always thought I was, like, meant to be behind the camera as a hairdresser. Shh, Apple Watch. I just became an Apple Watch person, you guys. I, <laughs> I never thought it would be my truth, but I am, like, so obsessed. I really, all the time, I'm like, uh, I, it, anyway. Um, I, I haven't learned how to silence it yet, though, so I'm so sorry about that. Uh, but, yeah, so it's, after Gay of Thrones, like, I really just fell in love with writing, producing, storytelling. Um, didn't necessarily know if I would get to keep doing it, and then Queer Eye happened. Um, but it's so much different than I kind of thought it would be. Like, there's so much more, and it's, it's, it's better in certain ways than I thought it would be. It's, like, more pressure in certain ways than I thought it would be. So it's definitely, like, it reminds me of this thing that my stepdad always said, which is, like, no matter where you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, while I don't have to worry necessarily about, like, how I'm going to pay my rent, which is what used to be, like, one of my top two concerns every month, um, there is, 
you know, I feel like in other ways I have kind of the weight of the world on my shoulders because I know so many more people. I see so many more people. I'm like mm -hmm. aware of my impact and I'm aware of the platform and I want to help. I mean, ultimately, I think I'm someone who wants to help people. Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. It's been just, wow, life. Who knew? <laughs> so the way you talk about your platform, so I, as I, I've already recommended to everybody in the audience, get your latest book in audio, uh, but you talk in that book about how the way you give, like giving back isn't always the same for everyone. And I mean, that's something that we talk about at Benevity anyway. You know, like some people give, some people volunteer. And for you, you choose to be vulnerable with your voice and your platform. Um, and as you say, you kind of have a bigger platform than most people, but what would you say to other people that maybe they don't have the same platform, but they want to use their voice too? How can they do that? Yeah, I think, well, one way that I, th that I think um, sometimes that, I, that we don't talk about a lot is like the ways that like, I'm just obsessed with duality right now, you guys. Like 2022, I'm obsessed with duality. Like how two separate truths can be coexisting at the same time. And so while you'll see the public facing things that I might advocate for, and one thing that I wrote a, a lot about and love that story, my last book is about my relationship with my dad. Mm -hmm. And he just came to my house for the first time. Like, like, I mean, like I've never like had my own house that he like came to. And so like he came with my stepmom like a few weeks ago. And I just did this amazing episode of Getting Curious, not to toot my own horn, but with this historian who, <sighs> she's a historian. Wait, is it the Jen Mannion episode? No, it okay. hasn't come out yet, but that episode is also major. It's so good. Yeah, it's so good. We just, ugh, God, honestly, Sorry. lately, ugh, we've just been doing it. Yeah. Um, but I got to interview this historian in reproductive law. So she is a historian in American reproductive law, which is such an intersectional field, and it turns out, like, People have been seeking reproductive health care uh, for like, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So interesting. But so I explained this whole thing to my dad and like I kept checking in and this is like, you know, post the book. Mm -hmm. um, and he said to me at the end, I get like chills thinking about it. He said, you know, I've never thought of it like that. Which I was like, <laughs> like, did you just have another mini stroke? Are you okay? Uh, <laughs> because uh, he's never said like something like that and mm. so it's like the things that we do privately right so it's yeah. like I don't like and obviously I wrote a chapter in my book about it and I just told this gigantic gorgeous room of people about that um, but it's like not something I'm like really putting on like my mm -hmm. feet about the way that I use my voice in private with people who I'm close with in my life mm -hmm. and those voices are so important like our friends and our family are so important so you don't have to advocate or use your voice on Instagram or on TikTok or on whatever like you can do it person to person in your life mm -hmm. and that's part of like why I use he she they pronouns and it's why I think it's really important because that's like a small way that I can take the conversation around the gender binary into everyday life and take those conversations with me into spaces where it's uncomfortable for people and where like maybe they're gonna have a reaction to that, but then I can talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's like, how can you do things, how can you take things that you're passionate about into spaces and talk about them where it, you're not quite sure how it's gonna go over? Obviously keeping yourself safe. Um, yes. But I think what we really do need at this point is more cishet people to talk about um, like, the violence against trans people because right now it's like you know we see a lot of like anti-trans legislation there's just like a lot of like stuff against trans people right now and i think what's alarming me for you know my cisgender uh you know siblings out there is that like it's gonna be it's you too already like the yes. same misogynistic energy and the same conservative colonial energy that is that is legislating these anti-trans bills they're gonna come for how women dress next. They're gonna come for how, and they already are. Like, mm -hmm. they already are, like, literally policing how children dress in multiple yeah. states in the United States. So, it just, this is everyone's fight. It's the same toxic masculinity that causes, like, men to be, like, violent and, like, doesn't know how to talk about their feelings. It's the same toxic misogyny that tells women that they, like, can't pursue whatever they wanna pursue mm -hmm. professionally or in their personal life. So, these colonial gender binaries, it's not just trans kids and trans people who are being harmed by this violence, it's like everyone. And I feel like we're losing sight of that this isn't like some random marginalized plight that we're asking for cishet people's allyship on, it's like this is your fight too. Yeah. Right?
Yes. So, we talked a little bit about this uh, on Zoom. I think my dad is a little like your dad, and uh, also has been kind of a journey. And it, like, it takes a long time. Like, how long did it take for you to get to that point with your dad? How many years were you having these conversations? Twenty-two minus eight. Right. <laughs> so ever since like two thousand and seven. Like, really, I mean, always kind of a little bit around, like, Doma and stuff, like, growing totally. up. But when I really, like, was like, ugh, it's probably like 2007 to now. So these conversations are hard to have, like, absolutely, whether it's with family Gosh, like, or colleagues. I kind of love them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me reframe that. Uh, these conversations can be hard. Yes. For other people. Um, so, what? Those people, oh, yeah. Right, right, those people. Yeah, it's about other people right now. Just like us, <laughs> us basic basics. Uh, but what would you say to people that want to speak up on these really difficult issues? Because, you know, maybe it is about anti-trans legislation. Maybe it's about white supremacy. Maybe it's about, you know, the climate disaster that we're all living in. What would you say to people who are trying to figure out how to start that journey of speaking up and having the tough conversations and how, how can they do it in a way also that maintains relationship but also like preserving those personal boundaries and personal safety? Mm. Well, personal safety is like its own kind of thing. And because there's like so many people in the world and there's so many conversations that you could have, like, ugh. Like, it's hard for me to, like, prescribe that. Um, but I do think that, like, when you see it, you have to talk about You don't have to, but, like, that's how I kind of see it. Like, when I see it, I talk about it, like, yeah. in real life. Um, so, if you know, if I'm working and, like, someone says something, like, randomly low-key transphobic or there's, like, a missed pronoun or there's, mm -hmm. like, I, like, I can just, I just talk about it. And then if there's, like, pushback or, like, oh, someone's sensitive, it's like, no, I'm not sensitive. Like, that's actually a form of violence and, like, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, it's just being able to like talk about something when something arises, like not letting something pass. Um, I think that's one way that you can start to do it. And I think that it's also like people in your life. Uh, I don't, I'm really curious right now if like even engaging with people on the internet, like matters or are they works. actually people even or are they just like literal bots or right because like literally it could be like a literal robot mm -hmm. like you know but seriously like, oh, that's, for like real. A, that's like a thing um so it's like how can you have these conversations like where you can move i think volunteering has like never been more important mm -hmm. there's so many organizations on the ground there's so many mutual aid organizations that like really need time really need support and that's a way for you to like get on the front lines mm -hmm. and make a difference in the world. Um, not that you can't make a difference on the world online, because that is possible too, there's like always a way. But I think that if you're nervous and you want to like do something that's really effectual, like community is really helpful, seeing how other people show up and how other people are of service in their community can give you a roadmap. So I think that's a, a really good way to start to show up is volunteering for someone who you are really passionate about or for, for a cause that you're really passionate about. Yes, love that. I think this is the kind of audience that would love that too. Oh, yay. <laughs> Have you done this before? You're like such a good moderator. I... <laughs> Did somebody pay you to say that? It was like the, like the way, like you were just, you were, you were just getting tens across the board for me, not that anyone asked, but like you were just I... like, oh. yes, okay. I feel like I'm in good hands right now. Okay. I wasn't going to tell you this. I told some friends that, okay, so I have been, uh, I've had queer podcasts for like many years now, and I have never been on the main stage of Goodness Matters before, and I was a little nervous. I've been on a public speaking journey, and so I told myself, this is my super secret podcast episode, which of course is not going on my podcast feed, but like that's my... You should, get the, you should see if they'll let you rip the audio, put it as a bonus episode. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, for real. Let's get back. Verbal offers are pining in California. That's right. Uh, okay, let's get back to actual questions, though. But thank okay, you. Yeah, my bad. I love this. Thank you. You just gave me all my life, and my kids are gonna be so proud of me. Oh, they already were, but that was cute. That's right. Um, 
So, I mean, one of the things you're just really known for is your authenticity, but also embracing the vulnerability. Like, you have to embrace the vulnerability. If you're going to be authentic, you have to. You can't do it otherwise. So what did your journey to living authentically look like, and did anything inspire you from, you know, perhaps a state of being afraid to just, like, being you, that's it? I've had so many incredible teachers um, in my life and people who I've looked up to. One person that immediately jumps up into mind anytime I say the word vulnerability, I always think of Brene Brown, like right away. Yes. Yes. And I mean, her work, I had a therapist that, like, when I was really in some of my darkest, like, hardest times, um, who got me onto her vulnerability TED Talk, which, like, changed my life. Um, and yeah, so I mean, her, Margaret Cho is another person who comes to mind, yes. who, like, the universe, like, I've loved her since I was 14. Like, I. Loved Notorious CHO. It's like one of the strongest like stand-up specials of all time. Iconic. She is just genius. And then we got to work together on Game of Thrones. And then in 2014, she literally looked at me in the face and was like, you're meant to be a stand-up comedian. And I was like, I'm meant to be your hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know about all that. And I would just love to do your hair if you're open. And like, but she kind of like was gently like nudging me towards things that like she saw that I could do that I didn't even know that I could do. Yes. Um, and she kind of like has just been such a cheerleader, like privately and publicly, and someone that I can talk to and her team as well. Like I just love her. Um, yeah. There's so many more, but wonderful. So would you say, like, thinking about self-acceptance, because, I mean, you also can't really be authentic unless you're able to accept who you really are, because otherwise you're just going to be in an argument with yourself all the time. Um, what would you say that opens doors to? Like, is there belonging? Is it opportunities? What have you found comes from self-acceptance? So as a non-binary person, I am, you know what I'm really, like, coming for in 2022, everyone? Like, I'm really, like... <sighs> It's like false dichotomies and like yes. false absolute choices. Yes. And your question was genius, but I would challenge the question, which was, you know, if you don't accept it, you can't be authentic if you don't accept yourself. Mm. And I don't think that, I think that's a false dichotomy. I think that that is not a black and white, 100, 0% thing. Mm -hmm. I think that there is so many layers to the human experience and so many layers to who we are as humans. There can absolutely be parts of yourself that you aren't quite sure how you feel about, or maybe you're not quite sure, you haven't quite processed it yet, but that doesn't mean that you don't accept yourself. Mm -hmm. Like you can accept that you don't accept yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agree. So, if you're in a place of being like, you know, really depressed, like really not in a place of acceptance, like when I think, I think about like my 2012, which is a lot like Kelly Clarkson's My December, but with like meth and gay stuff. Right. Uh, so, some good, some bad. Yeah. You right. know, well, just mostly bad, but yes. <laughs> um, but that, what a chilling song. Remember? Ah, such a good one. Wow. If you remember to... My December, Kelly Clarkson in your Spotify. So sad. Look it up later. Just think about like a 24-year-old me like screaming uh, in like WeHo in 2012. Um, but uh, what was I saying about? Oh, yeah. So, but like if you're in that really, really dark space, just like in all of your trauma, you can have like, you can titrate on like, can I like, per like accept this like 1%? Like, could I dip my toe in acceptance and like come mm. out of it? Like, can like... And, and it's never like you come to a place of self-acceptance where you're like, that was amazing. I accept myself now, and I never have to look at that again. Uh, actually, it's on a box in my closet, my self-acceptance, and it's just perfect. there. It's uh, it's, it, so it's like a constant relationship. And I don't think, that, like, I just think that it's like a constant relationship. And, and even people, when we think like, oh, I can't accept this, or like, I am so whatever. There are parts of you that can mm -hmm. accept it. And then there are parts of you that can't. Because we have to realize, or what I've realized in my healing, I always try, like, whenever I hear myself, oh my God, Apple Watch. Whenever I like, say, like, we have to do this, it's like, I don't want to prescribe. I want to talk about like, how I think of it. But when I realized that our personality, like who we are, is like a multitude of parts. Mm -hmm. and, and 
yoga when we talk about or in yoga or meditation, when you talk about like your centered self, like observing your thoughts in Christianity, I feel like it's Jesus in Buddhism. It's Buddha. It's like, it's this relationship with this like higher benevolent, like thing that you're supposed and, and, but we all have that centered self. Like we all are so much more than our stories, than our families, than our identities. Yes. Like as humans, like we are such complex people and, and just such complex creatures. And, and then there's, you know, our ego, which I used to get offended at, but like ego is really just like the voice in your head. Mm -hmm. But that voice in your head has like so many different parts. And I learned that from Richard Schwartz, who like invented this or like created this type of therapy. It's called like internal family systems or like um, IFS. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like how your inside is this like system of parts that is kind of like created by like your like family of origin and like how you were raised like when your psyche was like developed it's like your mm -hmm. attachment style it's so like for me like I have a part that's like a busy bee part and just like does not know how to say no so that's been a big part of like my public journey is like learning how to say no learning mm. boundaries like I think when queer eye first happened I was like oh my god my 15 minutes has started so I better fucking ooh, I better like <laughs> I better like. I swear I know. I didn't mean to. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, Benevity. <laughs> um, but it's like, uh, I. Sorry, I don't know if your podcast is like G rated. You'll have to like blur. Oh, my podcast. No, my podcast is um, not, but Benevity is. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Benevity. I love you guys so much. We're doing um, our best. Um, I'm never doing it again. Um, but that um, system of learning about our parts and learning about internal family systems has been so helpful for me, realizing that like, if there's something that I'm really upset about or really like, I can, I'm like, oh, that's not really like who I am. Like that's a part of my personality. Mm -hmm. Like that's a part of me that like learned to be fearful or learned to be whatever from uh, these like past experiences. And that's all really important work that I've done with therapists who do that work but I think of all of the therapies that I've done internal family systems has been like the most helpful because it like created such a like clear language for me to understand like why sometimes I only just wanted to people please and I just like had to say yes all the time but then I was also like extremely resentful for mm -hmm. saying yes <laughs> so I was like why do I want to do stuff but then I hate people for it <laughs> Um, and so, but that's parts. And so then it's like when that part comes up, when you're like resentful, you can be like, queen, I understand. You, this is like you talking to yourself. We need to take a bath. We need to go to yoga. We need to like, you know, create some time for ourselves to like decompress. And, but can you, but we're going to do that in like six hours. Cause like you did agree to do this thing <laughs> yeah. and, and I am going to take care of you, but I just need you to like relax. And like, you know, that's like me talking to my irritated part and see my irritated part yes. and my people pleaser part are polarized with each other. Like they kind of are like balancing each other. So sometimes you just like with your parts, you like, that's like what kind of like being an adult is, is it's like you learning to parent like all of the children in your parts. So many children, so many. Yes. Yes, okay. I kind of want to go back and talk to my therapist and say, have you heard about this kind of therapy? <laughs> it's really cool. It's, it's, it's really, I think it's really interesting. That's wonderful. Okay, so you've a couple times brought up um, false dichotomies or this or that thinking and that and and you brought it up when we were when we talked on zoom a couple weeks ago too and there is so much black and white thinking in the world or there's only one way to be right um and we're so polarized as a society how do we get beyond it <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Next question. Um, no, I mean, I hope that we, I, I don't know. I, I, well, actually, no. You know what I'm going to say? Because, like, that's, like, really fatalistic. That was, like, that was my fatalistic part. Um, no, you know what I think it is? When I think about my recovery, like, I could have, like, gratitude has been such an important part. And one thing that I think that we do have to realize, and I have to I catch myself in this, I did, not to always quote my podcast, but I got to interview this, like, fierce expert in misinformation, mm -hmm. and, like, God. <laughs> anyone, do you know, does anyone know how to do this? She's, like, she's, I, I, Do you just want to put her on the table? How do you do, but it, will that make it stop buzzing? It's, like, every time someone Well, it will make me, you like, stop feeling it on your wrist. You but it, like, makes a noise in the microphone. Ah! <sighs> Um, yeah, it's fine. There. Uh, it's I never want to see you again. No, I'm just kidding. I love the Apple Watch. It's like great. Right <laughs> um, okay. So, um, but 
I got to interview this uh, really cool expert in misinformation and, and kind of like public information, like how your brain takes things on. And she was saying that anytime you have like an immediate and extreme reaction to an article, like you could be being exposed to some amount of misinformation, which she was like, actually like both sides do that. And I was like, uh, that's sounding really uh, MAGA to me. Uh, both both sides do misinformation, and she was like, uh, and she was like, yeah, and like then she had some examples, and I was like, oh, interest. Mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of taught me to like take a beat. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that we like. There's really important things that we have to work on, volunteer on, show up for, etc. But if I have like an extreme reaction to reading something, that's just like a good note to be like, okay there could be something in here that's like meant to intentionally trigger me or like that's been some sort of context that's been left out. Yes. So that's one thing. Another thing is, is that like, I've also learned this the hard way in like public life multiple times, is that like trauma, like trauma porn, trauma, uh, hardship, that those clicks are always gonna sell. Mm -hmm. So-and-so slams so-and-so, da-da-da, rips apart this person. Like, it, like that sells more than like, things are great, Kids are, right. you know, so, and also when it comes back to duality, it's like in some places, things are getting better. Like in some places, you know, we see like, there's always those like, you know, feel good stories like twice a year when like a gender non-conforming teenager like wins like prom, like king or queen or royalty. Yes. And it's like, but you know, I love those twice a year stories. So as I hear myself say that, I'm like, I don't know. It's like, so in some ways I think things are better than they were mm -hmm. 10, 20 years ago. But then in other places, they're worse. Yeah. Those are existing at the same time. And so when, it's, when we speak about the polarization, I think in a lot of ways, it's always been like this. Mm -hmm. We've always been this polarized. We weren't aware of it as much because of social media and technology like linking us together so much more. Yeah. And I think that, like, even from that Jen Mannion episode about female husbands... I love that episode so, so oh my gosh, much. You guys, I'll just, like, quickly recap it for you. So, <laughs> Jen Mannion wrote this book called Female Husbands, and this book is about... There was this phenom in, like, the long 18th century, and I've learned from historians, you guys, that when a historian says, like, a long century, like, that's, like, 20 years before the century, and then, like, 20 years after the century... Yes. Is it just me or is that like so interesting? No, anyway. it's so, it is. So these, so these like, so this like female husband kind of like viral phenomenon like started happening in the, U, in the British and the American press in the late 1700s and it went all the way up through like 1900-ish. But it would be where like a couple seemed to be cishet and then through a series of events you find out that like one, that the man is really a female. And so Jed Mannion says that like, queer historians won't say that like they were trans because in the 1700s and 1800s there was a completely different understanding a different understanding of gender and sexuality than like what we have now like the word like gay and trans like that wasn't pathologized until like 1900 like it wasn't seen as like like a thing and interestingly in the uk the female husbands were covered much more positively it was like oh my gosh how cool that this woman was able to like navigate the world as a man like this is preposterous and they were like you know but like but like interesting at the same time whereas in the whereas in the u.s they were calling them sneaky fraudulent uh there was this like more sinister thing to the coverage of female husbands in the US. And in a lot of those articles where they were talking about female husbands, it honestly could have been written two months ago. Like, and so then we think about like when people on Fox and you know, conservative media says like these woke people and these little, it's like, this, it's so new, it's so not new. And, and I think like so many things, like we are just like, just so wanna be like, we are the first. Like we are, this has never happened before. We've always been here. Yeah, and like these sorts of, this sort of controversy and like, you know, moral dictatorship has like been around and been trying to be imposed for as long as like colonialism. And for as long as we're concerned around here, like that's kind of what has been dictating it. So I think that we have a lot of reasons to hope. Yes. I also think that we have a lot of reasons to be concerned because we see a whole group of people being completely scapegoated, targeted with legislation, and people are just pretty mum on it. Like, I feel like 
this anti-trans legislation that's been passed in multiple states that like felonizes gender affirming health care for parents yeah. and medical caregiver or medical providers is a really like that should make you pause it's violent and that should i think should be as big of a thing as the roe v wade scotus leak yeah. because that's like a potential overturning thing but we really have states now that yeah. If you imagine your kid going to school and like there's a kid in the class that's that a group of kids think doesn't look enough like a boy or a girl, those parents can turn that family in to be investigated for child abuse. That is so intense. And it's like people don't think about that. And also the whole time it's like trans kids are being scapegoated in the same society where we have mass shootings all over the place. And it's not trans people. And it should alarm everyone, cisgender or otherwise, that this cohort of legislators are effectively passing legislation that villainizes, targets, takes away equal protections, mm -hmm. disincentivizes people from being able to get education, from finding work. Like that's, we've seen this happen in societies before when people get scapegoated and we aren't, doesn't seem like people are really like supporting the people that need the help to fight this battle right now. I feel like that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask, something I really, like what I'm most excited to ask you and have been for a couple of weeks now. A common thing that celebrities and companies are both told pretty often is stay in your lane. And that's especially true when it comes to speaking up about injustices or anything that's seen as quote unquote political. Why is it important for both celebrities and companies to speak up, to drop that kind of thinking, especially when we are talking about things like racism and misogyny and homophobia and transphobia? Well, keeping it to myself first, it's like, I wrote and love that story, this, because um, I have been told, like, stay in your lane a lot. And I always think to that, like, I was someone who was living with HIV and who was battling addiction and various compulsivities for a lot longer than what I've been a celebrity. Mm -hmm. um, even referring to myself as a celebrity still like makes me feel like a weird shiver up my back. Like when I would be doing someone's hair, okay. and they I would like I refer to them. That. I, but like, but I would have like old clients who would be like, "Oh my god!" Like I was like a principal extra on like whatever and like I'm like walking the carpet like like really wanted to be referred to as a celebrity so like I always had it in my head like don't ever refer to yourself as a celebrity because it's like the height of weirdness um but I've been like myself and someone who's dealing with you know being a survivor of abuse addiction compulsivity living with HIV for much longer than I've been mm -hmm. a public facing like celebrity so and also like HIV is an intersectional racial gender um, inequality issue as is being a queer person um, you have to be like shoulder to shoulder and intersectional and intersectionally aligned with like every other marginalized group as a queer person because queer people are also black people are also Latino people are also Asian people are also disabled people are also women are also everyone mm -hmm. um, so it's really important for me to like think about that uh, and act on that. As far as companies go, I I don't know. Because mm -hmm. I don't know. It's like with JB and Hair, for instance, like I know that it took me a really long time to find the right partner because I was like, we're gonna speak about these things as a company and it's like not something that I'm willing to let go of. I need to have control over that. I need to have a say on that. I can't like give you my name and then like not yeah. be actively involved in that like every single day. So that took me a while to find someone that would let me do that. Um, I also noticed that with like bigger companies that I've worked with, there's like a lot of fear. There's like, you know, when you have a country that like 75 million people voted for Donald Trump, you don't want to lose out on those coins. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to pride, I feel like I get a whole bunch of calls, but then when it's not pride and like year to year, month to month, it's like, there's a lot of silence around the anti-trans bills. There's a lot of silence around don't say gay. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot, I mean, even with Netflix, like look at who I, look at who, 
I do. So like, so it's like, that's part of it. Like we are in this capitalistic society. Mm-hmm. Like you need to eat. Like I got people that I need to pay for. Like I have employees, I have things, yeah. people that I want to help. I have things that I'm trying to achieve. So that's like, again, the duality is like, how do you navigate that? And that's something that I'm really having to look at myself in the mirror for, like, as I continue mm-hmm. in my career, it makes a huge difference in who I advertise for and who I don't. And decide. I mean, I look back on my first year, second year of my career, like, you know, on Queer Eye, like 18, 19, some things in 20 where because of that whole like false dichotomy of like, oh, like my career is going to be this long. So I need to say yes to everything that comes through. There are so many things that I would not do again. And people were like, I signed on to something where there was this like great pitch deck where I was like, oh my God, they're really being allies. And then I did it. And then later on, I like realize or do I really like start digging and I'm like, fuck. I mean, darn it. <laughs> I know I'm never getting hired again, but I'm sorry. I love you. I'm so sorry. Um, authenticity though, am I right? Um, <laughs> So, but it's like, we live and we learn, yeah. and that's part of what it has been. But I think as far as companies go, like, what I've noticed in companies that do tend to get it right, it takes multiple people in the highest echelons of the executive corporate ladder to be fearless. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because I have seen it. I have seen people do the right thing. I have seen people be fearless in corporate settings. Um... I have totally seen it. Yeah. And I've also seen people be totally spineless. And their names and numbers and addresses are. Just kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, like, goes to Bedevity, get out of here. So, so far, it looks like we have one question from the audience. Oh my gosh. Don't, so like, keep me late, everybody. I know, right? <laughs> so, what is the one thing you say to yourself when you feel like you're not good enough. So, which is great, because I actually had a question around this too. Like, what do you do? Because you have a whole chapter in Love That Story about imposter syndrome. And I, I think of it in terms of like RuPaul and the inner saboteur. I tell that bitch to shut up sometimes. But like, what do you do? Mm. Okay, honestly, mm. not to sound conceited, but I don't feel like my inner voice ever really says like, you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. I think it used to. Um, I do think with self, like there's a difference between like understanding like where you are with your self-acceptance and then understanding what your worth is. You know what I'm saying? So like, I don't, if I have like something that, sometimes it'll be like, I could have done better. I like wish I would have done better. I wish I would have done something differently, but I don't think it's like, cause I think that's one like falsehood that I like learned really early is like, I thought I wasn't good enough. And then that almost killed me, you know? So what did, I mean, I know there's a whole book about it. It's called Over the Top, go get it. It's a memoir, it's great. But like, what does that journey look like going from a person who has imposter syndrome? And so what would you say to other people that have imposter syndrome? Like, what are those those first baby steps look like? Like, how do you start dealing with that? Well, I still, but so, but like my imposter syndrome is more around like, like my entertainment career, like because I became a comedian in a way that like a lot of other comedians like don't Mm -hmm. get to become a comedian. And because like I get to like, do a lot of the stuff that I get to do in kind of like a seemingly unconventional way because I've done a lot of people's hair. I've had a lot of friends that like wanted to do, wanted to have a career like what my career is and I just did it in a different way. And I think there was like some guilt around that. Um, But one thing that I think is really important is so much of it comes down to your relationship with yourself. Mm -hmm. And for that inner saboteur or for the part that thinks that you're not good enough or thinks like, for me, I feel like it's like my critic, like never feels like it was like as good as it could have been. Like felt like I was worthy, but felt like it could have been better. I should have done better. There's always like, that part is always trying to protect you. Mm -hmm. Like our parts are always doing the best they can with what they know. Like they're trying to protect you. So I never really try to say to that one, like shut up and get in the back seat, you dumb nightmare. Like Mm -hmm. I'm more of like, honey, Who told you, like, who is talking to you like that? Yes. Like, you did the best you could. You're going to have another chance. Like, you know, like, it's kind of like that. Yeah, you're reminding me. more compassionate with the part. You're reminding me of a thing that I, I think it was a friend whose therapist told them that our brains aren't here to make us happy. They're here to keep us safe. Mm. That's that whole, like, reptile brain thing. Yes. Yeah. That's why I, like used to doom scroll on Twitter, like looking, cause it's like, which I also talk about in the book, but it's like people saying to me, for instance, like, oh my God, you're such an inspiration or like my so-and-so like does this, yeah. like that isn't gonna like tank my career. 
you know? But someone being like, that, nah, 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 like that is a threat. Yes. Right? So if you were like out in the wilderness, like in the day, honey, like the bunny, that's not a threat. That's like a fuzzy bunny. That's the compliment. Yeah. The tiger or the lion is like the troll, which is why we're all, it's like our negativity bias. And like, that's why we're so wired to notice the negativity. Mm-hmm. I refer to it in my book about like Yelp. Cause like you could do like 15,000 amazing haircuts and perfect colors. But the one time you take someone's fringe too short, watch out. That's right. <laughs> like watch out. It's She's like coming for you. someone's way more likely to like report a bad experience than they are like the best one ever. Yeah. And so I think that's just kind of like human nature and that is like survival brain. And even just knowing that I think allows us to be a little bit more like gentle with ourselves and each other. Mm-hmm. So we got a couple more questions that came in. Thank you people for submitting your questions. So someone asked if just to follow up on what you were saying about companies and how some of them are fearless, can you give an example of a company that you, you see as fearless? Amaris is one, the one who owns JVN Hair and Biosense. I think like, I, sometimes I just get emotional about it. I think like, I will never forget like my agent calling me to be like, Biosense wants you to be their global self-care ambassador. And I was like, like I feel my mouth slobbering right now and then um and then I looked at like what I was gonna get to do and like what the paycheck was and I was like oh my oh oh my god (laughs) Um, oh my god but then like my first book was coming out like two weeks later and so I was like are they gonna want a next method who has HIV to be their global self-care ambassador So I was, and like at that point, like my that agent, my endorsements agent hadn't even like read my book yet. Like only like three people had. So I was like, Stephanie girl, like you gotta read this. And then and then Catherine, who is the president of Biosance, and she was the one who like thought to bring me in. I just like emailed her after like these like three long, you know, like meetings that we had had, like around the partnership, and I was just like, and I like her so much. Like I still like I just like her so much. I respect her so much. She's just like really genius. She's like a titan, like entrepreneur in like the beauty world. And I was just I was like, I literally like choke up thinking about it. I was like, look, I have a book coming out. It's going to say this, this, and this. And I think you should read it before we like move any further. And she was like, okay. And I was like, oh my God, it's over. And then, and then, then like literally the next day at like nine in the morning, she called me and she was like, this only makes me want to work with you more. Yes. <laughs> Good. Um, yeah. So I feel like that is one that I know for myself, like personally, that feels really authentic and really good. Um, and I've seen more, I've seen other instances of companies, you know, doing doing mm-hmm. the right thing and being fearless. But that was one that always just like sticks with me because like they could have gone with anyone. And yeah. Yeah. So we have one more. Oh, a couple more. Uh, as social impact pros, we often partner with organizations and charities around pride. So what advice would you give to people who are trying to actually create authentic partnerships? So I'm really into mutual aid. Love mutual aid. And there are so many um, mutual aid organizations that are on the ground right now that are just like doing such important work. And I think that especially in the... Um, you know, LGBTQIA plus community, but especially the trans community, um, we need people in harm's way getting access to the funds and the resources, like not after like a director and like a founder and like a bunch of other people have like, and obviously when you're doing charity work, like people got to eat too, like the people doing the work got to eat too. And that's like an important thing. Mm-hmm. But if we can invest in infrastructure that is like really getting money and resources, food, education, access to medication, whatever it is that a a trans person may need, healthcare faster, I think that mutual aid is really good in that. So I also think that there's organizations like Trans Education Network Texas that are doing really important, great work. And there's also like the duality of places that do mutual aid and other things. So looking to see if there's like, when you're partnering with someone, if there's a way that you can be more like, intentional with really making sure that you know where that money is going and that it's going to affect the people that are on the front lines that are being like that are that don't have a home that have been disowned by their family maybe they're experiencing homelessness maybe they have hiv and they need access to like rides to get their medication or they need access to internet there is so much that that 
trans people need and just get left out for. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like getting just, yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. One other question from the audience. What would you tell your younger self that was scared of being authentic? Mm. Mm. Well, whenever someone asks me what would I say to my younger self, my first answer is always, don't do meth. <laughs> um, it's just good life advice. It's really good Any life age. advice. It's like so, it's Anytime. so good. It's, it's like, you know, it's like weed. Oh. Like, you can be free, but, like, when it comes to, like, hardcore drugs, then you just don't do that. And on that same note, I would say, uh, you're going to be really scared of, um, it's not the authenticity that scares you, it's the conformity that scares you, because you don't know how to conform into this world, because this isn't who you are. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be really scary, and you're going to want to tap out, you're going to want to numb out, you're going to want to do drugs, you're going to want to, like, do anything else than show yourself to the world. Mm -hmm. And then what I would also say is that, like, it is so much less hard than what you think it's going to be. It seems like the biggest mountain that you could never could climb, but actually, it's like, it's kind of like when you thought you could never do a roundup by handspring, but then you learned how to do one. <laughs> it's like that. That's what I would say to my younger can self. You, and then, like, definitely us? don't do drugs. No, I'm no, no, I can't. I mean, I could, but, like, you guys did not pay me enough for that. No, no I agree. Because that would be, like, a free, like, coochie show, and because I'm not wearing Spanx. It's a good point. My, I'm wearing underwear, everyone. Don't freak out, but just, like, not Spanx, so it's just, like, too much. Um, my ankles and this, no. I also, you know, when I do my gymnastics routine, like, on stage, like, I have, like, a little, like, tumble track. Right. On account of my 35-year-old joints. So we should come to your comedy shows. What my saying. new shit is so much fun, you guys. It's okay. so much fun. And my new show is so funny. I, there, is a, there is a part where I suffocate Vladimir Putin in my fupa. <laughs> um, it's one of my strongest jokes. And I also do it by seducing him in a manner of Jamie Lee Curtis in True Lies. <laughs> um, and I'm in my rainbow leotard. That If you've ever seen me on my Instagram, like in that rainbow leotard on my tour, like that's, I do the joke in that leotard. It's like my most, one of my most life-affirming, mm -hmm. like, five-minute jokes ever. It's really fun for me. I haven't even heard it yet, and you're already giving me life. Yeah. And then it goes into this whole, like, the duality of, like, my unspeakable, inexplicable attraction to Mitt Romney, and how, <laughs> and how there's, like, so much to unpack there, <laughs> and how, like, speaking of parts, because you know what it was for me, honey? It was the 2002 Salt Lake Games. <laughs> it wasn't like all of it. I think it was like the opening ceremonies or something. Mitt, honey, he had that scruff, honey. <laughs> he doesn't do that very much. Right. But that scruffy 2002 Mitt Romney, honey. It was a moment. Ooh, my little like 16-year-old self. I also think it was like the trauma because like, you know, Michelle Kwan got bronze like seven days later. Yes. And so like yeah. I was just like needing a savior, like needing someone to like rescue me. Yeah. And since then it turns out like I love silver medals and bronzes and I also like have learned to love Sarah Hughes. Like she's amazing and she totally deserved it. And it turns out like Michelle's like fine with her two Olympic medals. It, like didn't have to be gold. Like she's totally like fine. So I'm fine. <sighs> yes. But can you believe, can, can you believe right. that I get to be friends with Michelle Kwan? Okay. Can you believe okay, that so I'm literally going to dinner with her tonight? Are you really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I get to see her tomorrow. Like, that's, that's what my life is like. I, like. Well, I feel like that might blow my closing question. Sorry. No, you know what? I'm going to ask it anyway. And then it's maybe like it's hard to go else. up from there. So here's the thing. Uh, last week on Instagram, yes, I follow you on Instagram. I'm sure half the room does as well. Not a surprise, given that I've just fangirled on you for 55 minutes. Um, but last week on Instagram, you shared a post, and you asked everyone how we're bringing joy into the world. You were doing some, you were doing some gymnastics. It was very cute. And you said that even when things are horrific, we're still allowed joy because it invites healing. So I guess I just wanted to ask you, how are you experiencing joy today? Oh my God, what a good question. Um, well, I do get, like I said, like I get to go to dinner with Michelle Kwan, um, which is like 
I love I this know, like, for you. I, mean, I love your life. That's actually what I would probably say to my younger self. Like, I feel like you would pass the fuck. Ugh. Would pass out. <laughs> you know, just pass out. And you know what I need? What I, before I do public speaking, I need to, like, it's like, is this, like, grandma rules or, like, none? Because, like, I'm really good at not cussing if I imagine that I'm talking to my grandma. Because she would have, like, punched me in the face. I, you don't know how hard I've been holding back. Like, that's my <sighs> You're not going to get in trouble. You did great. Baby, you're the best. It's so good. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good. (laughs) So good. That's it. You're just like. Thank you. That's amazing. How often do you get to have your personal hero tell you this? It's not bad. Wait, do you live in Canada or do you live in the? Where do you live? I live in Canada. I live in Calgary, Canada. I live where the cowboys roam. (sighs) See, I feel like all in all, it feels like y'all are doing like significantly better than we are doing. Well, um, it's not bad. But I was, but, yeah, I was like, I feel like you're giving me like, like, what do you, do you get like a congressperson? Sorry, what? Like, like you're giving me like congressperson. Wow. Like, or do you guys call that like an MP? We might. What is that? Well, I don't know what a congressperson is, so like I don't know. Congress, you know, it's like, it's like AOC, like she's oh. a congressperson. You know? Uh, yeah, it's probably an MLA or an MP. So yeah, I wanted to. I just, I just, I can see you so like, in this, like gorgeous, right like political room with like these people, and you being like, "I object to that." <laughs> oh. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Speaker okay. of the House. Do we have? I just want everyone to run for poli- like political. Everyone who I like, I just want them to run for political office. Yeah. Okay. Just for you. No, like for the public. No, no. I mean, I'll do it just for you. Oh. Uh, uh, for the public, honey, they need you. You'd be so good. All right, well, I think that's a wrap. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank, Thank you. you for time to share with us. Hey, everyone, me again. That is all for this very special episode of Queerly Recommended. If you've enjoyed the show, please hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll get notified whenever we release an episode. Or if you have a friend that you think would like it or even just like this special episode, please tell them all about it and send them the link. And like I said at the beginning, if you enjoyed it, please make a donation to the Transgender Education Network of Texas so they can keep doing the crucial work that they're doing. If you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, just search for Queerly Recommended on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or email Chris or I at podcast at queerlyrecommended.com. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you.